We want to remind our listeners that this program is for informational and educational purposes only and not intended to substitute for professional veterinary medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The Animal Medical Center does not recommend or endorse any products or services advertised by SiriusXM. Welcome to Ask the Vet with Dr. Ann Hohenhaus. This is the place to talk about your pets and get advice with a top veterinarian from the Animal Medical Center in NYC. Hear from the leading authorities on animals and give us a call to ask your questions. Now, here's your host, Dr. Ann Hohenhaus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Ask the Vet here on Sirius XM Stars Channel 109. I'm your host, Dr. Ann Hohenhaus. I'm a board-certified internist and oncologist here at the Schwarzman Animal Medical Center in New York City, the largest animal hospital in the world. It's a dreary day here in New York on the Upper East Side, uh, but we've got a great show in store for you. Don't forget that Ask the Vet is also available as a podcast thanks to our partnership with Sirius XM Radio. And with your support, I'm excited to share that our Ask the Vet download podcast has now reached 2,500 downloads. At the Animal Medical Center, we keep pets together by providing the absolute best care for pets. Got a question? I'm going to answer questions in our later segment of the show. But if you have a question, just call us at our toll-free number, 866-993-8267, and leave a voicemail with your pet questions, and I'll answer your questions on next month's show. If you don't have a pen and pencil right now, don't worry. I'm going to give this phone number again later in the show. So have it ready for when I give it. We have a lot of good information today, and we're going to start with our trending animal story. It's time for the Internet's most talked about animal. This story comes from our friends in Bristol, England, and I'm very excited because I'm going to be going to Bristol, England in two weeks, and maybe I can meet Charlie, a one-year-old tuxedo cat that is Britain's number one cat burglar. Well, maybe cat burglar is wrong. Maybe he's a feline burglar. He's been dubbed the klepto cat. And Charlie goes out and steals dozens of items from his neighbor's yards and then brings these items home. What's he brought home? Rubber duckies, glasses, cutlery, plastic dinosaurs. He seems to really like plastic dinosaurs because he seems to bring them home all the time. He's even brought home toy skateboards. After his initial thefts, Charlie was kept indoors for three months. But when he was let out again, nothing changed. And soon he was back outside. He started to pilfer again. Almost on a daily basis, Charlie roams the neighborhood in search of that day's loot. No matter the size nor the distance, Charlie manages to get the stolen item home. He walks through his cat flap door and proudly gives his new special gift to his mom, Alice Briggy. Alice rescued Charlie and his sister, whose name is Smidge, when they were kittens, but now spends most of her time trying to reunite, reunite the stolen loot with the rightful owners. Alice has had to set up a shelf on the wall outside her home with a sign that says, Kleptocat lives here. Are any of these items yours? Alice said Charlie has never brought home a bird or a mouse like other cats. He just likes to wander off and steal things. If you want to see all the, the things that Charlie has stolen, just Google Charlie the UK Klepto Cat for news and photos. 
Dogs may be man's best friend, but some of them can bite. And every year, millions of Americans are bitten by dogs. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, one out of every five dog bites causes an injury that requires medical attention. April 10 to 16 is National Dog Bite Prevention Week. And to talk about dog bite prevention and a couple other topics, my special guest is the president of the American Veterinary Medical Association, Dr. Jose Arce. Dr. Arce was born and raised in San Juan, Puerto Rico. He received his DVM from Louisiana State University in Baton Rouge and completed an internship in small animal medicine, surgery, and emergency medicine at Rowley Memorial Animal Hospital in Springfield, Mass. Dr. Arce moved back to Puerto Rico after completing his work in the United States and worked at an avian and small animal hospital called San Juan Municipal Shelter, the Dorado Animal Hospital, and at the Diaz-Ompierre Veterinary Clinic. And in 2013, he founded the Miramar Animal Hospital, of which he is currently president and co-owner. His special interests include dermatology, ophthalmology, and ultrasonography. Obviously, Dr. Arce has been an active member of the American Veterinary Medical Association and was elected president in 2020. I met Dr. Arce several years ago because he was attending a committee meeting of the AVMA that I happen to also be attending. Dr. Arce lives with his wife and fellow veterinarian, Dr. Anik Puig, and also Diego uh, in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Welcome, Dr. Arce. I'm so glad you could join me on today's Ask the Vet. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here today. And Dr. Arce is coming to us from the AVMA headquarters in Schaumburg, Illinois. Um, and we are very lucky that he's taken a break from a board meeting, or maybe he's very lucky that he's taken <laughs> a break from a board meeting to talk with us today about dog bites. No, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be here. The board meeting is important, but this is also very important. It is, it really is. I, so. The last time I got bitten by a dog, it actually wasn't a patient dog. Um, the I was waiting outside the elevator in our building and a dog was on the elevator and the people dropped the dog's leash to let it run to their apartment door. And instead of running to the door, it ran up to me, put its feet on me and, and chomped my arm. No. Um, the good news was I was standing still. I wasn't doing anything. I was waiting for the people to get off the elevator so I could get on. And it only ripped my shirt. It didn't break the skin or anything, but it was still pretty scary. So imagine um, what it's like for a person who's actually really attacked by a dog. This was this while well, this was sort of an attack, but I didn't get hurt and I'm not scared of dogs. So it wasn't frightening to me. But if you're not a dog person, I, I think that that is very, very scary. So I think that if random things like that can happen, I don't think the average person out there really recognizes how common or how dangerous dog bites can be. Can you uh, share with our listeners some of the current industry statistics on dog bites? Certainly. And like you say, you know, dog brings us uh, a lot of joy to our lives and it's hard to imagine living without them, especially during the past two years. But as much as we love our dog and as wonderful as they are, as responsible pet owners, we need to be aware that any dog can bite. 
And from the statistics that we have, more than 4.5 million people are bitten by dogs every year in the U.S. And more than 800,000 people receive medical attention for dog bites. And at least half of those are children. So it's definitely, you know, something that, that we want to talk about and we want to do everything possible. So because most bites are preventable and there are simple steps we can take to keep our dogs from biting or, or being beating ourselves. Well, I think that um, so there's over four million dog bites and I can guarantee you there are less than four million postmen and four million veterinarians. So there are a lot of people that are not postmen and veterinarians that are getting bitten out there. Um, and so this is this is an issue for every single person unless somehow they never ever come in contact with a dog, which I think is impossible because what do we have a few million dogs in the United States? Yeah, that those numbers, you know, they go here, but we have several million dollars uh, dogs in the U.S. So you know, it's a, it's a, it's a lot of uh, bites uh, compared to to the population of the U.S. So definitely, you know, we, we need to work on this, and and that's what we're trying to do during National Dog Bite Prevention Week uh, within the AVMA and a coalition of animal behavior experts and insurance reps. Uh, we're working together, basically, to get the word out on this issue and, and see how we can all work together to prevent bites and, and live, you know, happy, healthy, uh, with confident dogs. Yeah. Bite free dog, dog, bite free dog time. So do we know, do you have a hypothesis why dogs bite? Yeah, definitely. Dogs bite for, for a variety of reasons, most commonly, you know, as a reaction to stress, uh, as a perceived threat, uh, they can also bite, uh, because uh, they're protecting something that's very valuable to them. It could be, you know, their food. It could be a toy. Uh, it could be their puppies of a, of them of a mother uh, dog. Uh, they also bite many times when they're not feeling well. You know, they could be sick or or sore due to some type of injury or illness, and they're trying to avoid pain from being touched. Uh, and sometimes it's it's as basic as as play. A lot of children like to play with with dogs. And, and dogs see this nipping and biting as part of the play, but sometimes it can be dangerous to our kids. Yeah, so you mentioned kids a couple times now. Um, so kids are most often bitten, but what dogs, what type of dogs do the biting? Oh, any, any type of dog can do biting. Uh, it's not a matter of a breed or, or of a type of dog. Uh, it's the situation, it's, you know, for kids, it's, it's a, you know, they, they don't recognize some of the, you know, the body language of, of the dogs, especially the, the younger kids, uh, but any dog can bite. Uh, you know, I lived in Massachusetts uh, when they had a breed uh, specific uh, law and they actually, you know, changed it because they saw that it didn't make a difference to, to, to ban certain dog breeds because supposedly they were more aggressive. So actually it's a matter of educating, you know, the people and also, you know, taking steps to prevent these bites. So. I think I read that um, children are more often bitten by the family pet than stranger, you know, than a random dog on the street. Do you think that's that's correct? That is correct. And you know, most people believe that unknown dogs uh, pose a big, the biggest uh, risk for a bite. But actually, most dog bites occur during daily activities, everyday activities, while interacting with familiar dogs. Uh, so, you know, definitely the house dog, you know, uh, a, a neighbor or a friend, somewhere we, where we go all the time, that's where the most bites occur. And I think that's, that's a very important point for parents of young children is 
what can they do to protect their child, but also teach their child to protect themselves? Definitely. And, and one thing that I forgot to mention that we know for certain that dogs are more likely to become aggressive when they're unsupervised, when they're not neutered, or when they're not socially conditioned to live closely with people or other dogs. Uh, but as far as, uh, you know, what steps we can take, you know, there's things we can do, you know, with the dogs. There's things we can also do to educate people to prevent these bites. Uh, definitely, you know, uh, there's, there's a lot that, that, that we can teach. Uh, with kids, it's, it's, it's kind of hard at first, you know, with the younger kids because they don't understand the emotions of dogs. And, you know, they might see it as, as playing with dogs, but it's actually, you know, giving them space, approaching them slowly. There's many things we can teach our kids and prevent many of those uh, hospital visits that we mentioned at the beginning. So what about a dog's body language should we alert our children to that would help keep them safe? Definitely. Uh, a dog body language is, is a very important indicator on, on how a dog is feeling. And, and we can get a lot of information uh, from that. But it's, it's not always something that we can, you know, easy, it's easy to read. Uh, you know, dogs have unique personalities and, you know, some things like as, as, as simple as wagging a tail might mean that the animal's happy uh, and wants to see, be with you and wants to play. But at, at the same time, other dogs, a, a wagging tail might mean they're anxious or nervous and they don't want you to approach them. Uh, other things like, you know, a yawn, them licking their lips excessively or putting their ears back uh, uh, means that they're worried about something. Uh, other things when they is, they kind of tuck their, their tail under, under their belly or their leg or they kind of lie down with a leg up, uh, they could be trying to tell you that, you know, that they're frightened or threatened. Uh, and then the obvious, you know, if the dog is growling or snapping or biting, it's telling you that it wants to be left alone. What the, the thing that I think children mistake most often is they'll say, oh, look, that dog is smiling because they see the dog's teeth. Mm -hmm. But and, and that's a hard thing for children to understand is that mm, dogs don't usually smile when they when you see a dog's teeth it's a bad it's a bad sign um, yeah, and so i much, think that's that's mm -hmm. an important point to add to your really good list there of things to teach your children about uh pets i remember we we had these family friends and they had these little tiny nippy dogs and i would i never forget every time we went there my mother would say these dogs do not want to play with you. Leave these dogs alone. You know, we were used to our family dogs, so you could do anything to. But these dogs mostly belong to grandma, a little old lady, and they just weren't prepared for children, you know, to come over for the afternoon. And I think that's another, another thing that parents need to have their radar out for is what is this dog used to? If this dog lives at home with a grandma type person and it's just the two of them all day, all the commotion of children and visitors is stressful for a dog. And so I think that that, you know, that is another point that parents need to pay attention to is what is that dog used to and warn your children that this is not a dog for them to play with Definitely. by any means. So, um, what do you think the best, what's your best professional advice on how to avoid dog bites? Oh, yeah, the, I take it from two sides. From, from the dog side, uh, 
I, we want to focus on training, socialization, and, and maintaining good health. You know, socialization basically is, is getting the dog used to uh, enjoying interactions and, and being comfortable with other animals, with other people, with, with different places, with different activities. It kind of uh, exposes them to, to different experiences. And, and you got to do it at a pace that's comfortable with them. Some, some dogs, you know, react to things really quick and adjust. Others take longer. And we got to understand that. It's just like people. Uh, and and while, while we carry out that, that plan, it's important for, for owners that... Uh, or guardians to un en engage with praise, you know, use play, use treats, uh, you know, create a, a positive experience that encourages the dog to, to enjoy these new experiences and, and becoming uh, less fearful or, or aggressive. Training, we all know what training is all about. And, you know, it's a, it's a great, I think it's a great bonding experience for, for people with their pets. Uh, you can start with the basic, the calm, sit and stay, and which, which kind of helps uh, manage the pet's behavior and, and determine how you interact uh, with your pets. And, and lastly, the good health, you know, like I said before, dogs may bite because they're sick or injured. And that's why it's important to visit your veterinarian regularly for health checkups. And also when your dog is showing signs of injury or illness. I think that that is very sound advice uh, from from the man himself here. Um, so I want to switch a little bit and talk about your role as uh, president of the American Veterinary Medical Association. Uh, AVMA represents how many veterinarians? It's like eight. Let's say soon to be one hundred thousand. Right now we're over ninety nine thousand. And in the next few months, hopefully, we'll be reaching 100,000 members. As, as people, they, we're coming up on graduation season for veterinarians. And so once they graduate, then they're eligible to be an AVMA member. And that, that class is going to put, the class of 2022 will, will push we'll you put over. Us, we'll put us over. Yeah, you know about that, that. Yes. So that that's well, because I was just recently at the University of Minnesota Veterinary School and the students there are very excited, even though it's April, they're already looking forward to graduation in May. So um, it it's well, it was a big deal. I thought it was a big deal. I'm sure you thought it was a big deal, too. Oh, it was. I, I remember this time long time ago when I was in a hospital, almost as nice as, as AMC. I, I did my preceptorship in Angel Memorial in Boston. And, and I loved it, but I was excited once I get out of those preceptorships, I, I was ready to conquer the world and become a, a veterinarian. So it's a great career. It, it is a great career and, and it's a very ex exciting time um, for young veterinarians is when they get to graduate and start, start their lives as professionals. So do you get, do you, are you doing any commencement addresses at any veterinary schools this year? Yeah, I'll be doing the, in May the 20th, I'll be doing the commencement address for Ross uh, University School of Veterinary Medicine in, it's going to be held in Miami, uh, May the 20th. So I'm, I'm excited. Uh, I've done some before. I actually did, it's not a commencement. It's actually, it's a similar name when the school first starts. And I did it a, about a year and a half ago for University of Arizona, the new vet school. And it was, a, it was sort of a, a, of a commencement, it was, but it was like the inauguration of the school. And it was really exciting to talk to to those uh, students about what was well, coming and, and their experiences. And that we desperately need new, we need more veterinarians. Can you talk about what the pandemic has done to veterinary medicine? Yeah, that's the the workforce issue is something we're we're talking about. You know, uh, things have changed. Uh, 
some some of it you know ha has to do with with the pandemic uh, there's other you know reasons economic issues uh, i think there's generational issues uh, uh, there's more women in the profession so many things are affecting the profession and and we're trying to analyze it right now and, and the AVMA department of economics is, is doing some research so we can know know you know actually have the the facts uh, of what's happening out there we definitely know there there is a shortage uh, in in food animal and, and public health veterinarians and we definitely know that that in our technician side there's also a shortage and that affects the the efficiency of hospitals, and we're seeing that uh, hospitals are seeing less patients, uh, and and it's something has to do you know, partly with the pandemic and the way we've been working, and that's starting to return to normal. Uh, but also, we know there's there's uh, we need more employees, and and that's something that we're working on. So let's talk about technicians for a minute. So at AMC, we have over a hundred licensed veterinary technicians. I probably shouldn't say that or, or we'll be drowned with people calling up offering our technicians jobs. Folks out there, we need every one of them. They're not available. They're too good and too important to us. But um, there, there is the, the National Association of Veterinary Technicians in America, which is also called NAVTA, um, just released a study saying that only 10 of the 50 states in the United States have a clear definition of the title of veterinary technician. And so NAVTA is working to protect that title. Um, for our listeners, a definition of a professional title like that comes from each state's licensing board. And that's why it's all different everywhere, because New York calls them licensed veterinary technicians or LVTs. But in Minnesota, where I just was, they call them certified veterinary technicians or a CVT. So Dr. Arce, do you want to talk a little bit about this issue, which I know is important to AVMA? Yes, definitely. And, and we agree 100% with NAFTA. I mean, for example, you were just mentioning a couple of states. In Puerto Rico, we have we use the term veterinary technologies for the ones that come from four-year programs and veterinary technicians for the two-year programs. So it's another another term that not widely uses the, the technologies one. But but no matter what the term, we definitely agree with NAFTA that, that we need to have some consistency across the country. Uh, veterinary technicians are an integral part of the veterinary medicine and, and our care teams. And we, we definitely encourage schools, organizations, regulatory authorities to use the appropriate terminology for veterinary technicians. Uh, you know, whether they're performing dentals or monitoring anesthesia or taking x-rays, uh, answering our clients' questions, credential technicians help us our, uh, run our practices smoothly and, and they provide the highest levels of care. So, you know, everyone on the veterinary team is important. Veterinarians, veterinary technicians, veterinary assistants, office managers, receptionists, even our, our volunteers, and they all have roles to play, but it's important to use proper terms correctly to recognize and respect the unique role of each team member plays in your hospital and the skills that they bring to the table. So what's the term, I, I should have looked this up and I apologize, what's the term that NAVTO thinks that we should adopt nationwide? Yeah, well, the, NAVTO has different things. Uh, we, 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 some, some people are using veterinary technicians uh, or certified veterinary technicians, uh, depending on whether they're certified or not. And like you said, the, the, the different state laws uh, have different things. We want, we want it to be 
uh, uniform. You know, there, there's also the term veterinary nurse that's been introduced, but it, but it's something that you know is it doesn't have a, a big uptake across the the U.S. for different reasons. Uh, especially that it's a term that nurses kind of appropriate. Uh, but I, I, we think whether, you know, it's veterinary technician or certified veterinary technician or, you know, a veterinary assistant in, in the ones that, that, that have another level, we need to, you know, make sure that there's a standard and there's uniformity across the U.S. You know, if we want to use the, veterinary, the term veterinary uh, Technician or veterinary nurse, we need to know what that means and what that encompasses. If, it, if we're going to use the term veterinary assistant, the same thing. Uh, we just need to have, you know, common definitions across the country, so so we can we can better understand, you know, how how this runs and and you know the different levels of of our veterinary team. Yeah, it it's it's the technicians are so critical to being able to run things. You know, today I was able to do all my paperwork on a patient while the technician and the assistant gave the vaccines, drew the blood test, trimmed the nails, and then showed the owners how to give the medications that the dog was getting. And that that is um that frees me up to call clients back, complete my medical records and be ready to see the next patient. And so I'm not sure that the public understands how important these technicians, technologists, certified, licensed, whatever you call them, are, are integral to us as veterinarians being able to do our job. Yeah. Um, so I think this is an important thing. And if there are people out there um, looking to help, they can find out more information on uh, the NAVTA website, which is the North National Association of Veterinary Technicians in America. So I want to ask Dr. Arce if there's something that he thought I was going to ask today that I didn't and and give him a bully pulpit for a couple minutes. <laughs> no, I thought you were going to ask me a little bit about about my role. We started talking about you know the we ABA. did, and then we then we yeah. got off and on technicians. Off. <laughs> yeah, but I mean it's it's been a great opportunity. I, I've been involved with uh, organized veterinary medicine for the past twenty nine years. I started at doing vet school at, at LSU, uh, where I became active with the student AVMA, and you know after that. Uh, after I did my internship, I went back home to Puerto Rico and I got involved with the Puerto Rico VMA and then, you know, with the AVMA House of Delegates and the, the Board of Directors and now I'm president. It's been a great ride and I recommend to any veterinarian out there to get involved uh, uh, with their profession, whether it's uh, at the city level, or local level or, or, or uh, at, the, at the whole nation, national level, even, you know, at the world level. I was lucky enough uh, last week to be in Abu Dhabi, uh, participating in the in the meeting of the World Veterinary Association, and and it's it's great to meet people from different places. When, when I first got involved, I thought you know uh, everything is local, and you know I, I thought there was a lot of you know problems that that, that were just uh, affecting Puerto Rico. And then I got involved at the national level, and I saw the same. Now I'm involved with, with the World uh, Veterinary Association, and and it's the same. But the good thing is to know is that there's passionate veterinarians out there, you know, in Puerto Rico, all across the U.S. and all across the world that are working together to to have to help, you know, uh, the practice of veterinarians and make it better so we can better serve our clients and our patients. Well, and so I, I will confess that I did see a pay photo or two of Dr. Arce in Abu Dhabi last week. It looked like he was having a good time. Um, but but I 
am participating in a group right now with with a different international um, veterinary organization, and there are lots out there for people to be involved with. So, but my group is working on cancer and animals. No surprise for those mm-hmm. of you who know me. <laughs> and our job is to try and help level the playing field because every country out there doesn't have good educational resources, doesn't have good drug resources, doesn't have a lot of resources to to treat pets with cancer. And so my group is working really hard just in that little teeny microcosm of veterinary oncology, trying to help everyone have access to good oncology resources. And so we've had... um, We've had people, two people from from my oncology group on this, um, uh, Nick Bacon from England and uh, Yola Kerbenstein from from the Netherlands, um, who also are on this group. And and it's it's been really fun because you learn a lot of stuff. The people are interesting. They have different perspectives um, and it all that makes the group and the profession better. And we got, we have a lot to learn from from other countries. We, you know, sometimes you know we kind of go with with what we do here in the U.S. And when we go to the, some of those countries, and you know, some of those topics that now, that for example, the pandemic has has shown, uh, I think, the world the importance of the of the one health concept, and that's something that you know the Europeans ha- have been advanced, you know, and were ahead of us. And I think now with the, with the pandemic and what's been happening. It's something that we understand because it's we're not only working as veterinarians to to treat our patients. A lot of what we do, a lot of what are you know some of the veterinarians that are involved in, in public health that are involved in food production, it helps public health and prevents many diseases and and, it, and also the environment. You know the, the interactions with the, of the animals and their environments that we affect that. Uh, so it, it's it's been a great time right now to to have these exchanges and and to realize you know we can learn from. From other countries and, and and we can help them like you're doing right now with with the with the oncologist group and that's that's great i'm i'm i'm, I'm amazed and, and and i'm happy that you're doing that yeah i'm having absolutely a great time doing it uh, so anything that i that you want to get out there to the public that i didn't encompass in my questions other important issues that people should be aware of related to veterinarians no, you know, I, I always will end things with, you know, don't, don't forget to visit your veterinarian regularly. Uh, you know, you, you want to, we want our pets to live long. Uh, we know how important uh, the human-animal bond is, and we want those pets to be you, with you as long as possible. And going back to the issue of, of the dog bites, you know, we want people to be aware. We want people to be educated, but not to panic, you know. Uh, we the, the joy that pets bring to us is unmeasurable. And you know, throughout the National Dog Bite Prevention Week, we just want to educate and, and show people you know, different ways in, in which they can help minimize this problem. So no, keep doing what you're doing and, and don't forget to, to sterilize your dogs. Very important too. Thank you so much, Dr. Jose Arce from the American Veterinary Medical Association, taking a break from his executive board meeting to join us here on Ask the Vet. And when we come back, Um, we will do the animal news. But first, if you have a question about your pet's health, just call and leave me a message on our toll-free voicemail. That number is 866-993-8267. And leave me a message and 
we will answer your questions on next month's show. So when I come back, the animal news. We want to remind our listeners that this program is for informational and educational purposes only and not intended to substitute for professional veterinary and medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The Animal Medical Center does not recommend or endorse any products or services advertised by SiriusXM. Now, more of your pet questions answered on Ask the Vet with Dr. Ann Hohenhouse. Call now with your pet questions on SiriusXM Stars. Welcome back to Ask the Vet here on SiriusXM Stars Channel 109. And now it's time for the animal news. It's time for Animal Headlines, the biggest animal news from across the world. This first story is about cats, but it's actually more about people too. So many people are allergic to cats, and if you're one of those people, but are also a cat lover, then this story is good news for you. Scientists are close to creating a truly hypoallergenic cat, according to a new study from a Virginia biotech company called InBio. The cause of most cat allergies is a protein found in cat saliva and other bodily secretions. Scientists have been using CRISPR technology to edit the genetic code for a protein called FELD1, which is the cause of most cat allergies. So the scientists are trying to edit out the DNA that causes cats to make this FELD1 protein, which makes people cough and sneeze and wheeze and scratch. Scientists still have a way to go with this research, but the plan is to continue refining and testing until they ultimately find a safe way to genetically edit the cat so that it doesn't make people itchy. And if they're successful, those with cat allergies may be able to have a feline friend of their very own. Now, this is a sweet story about a therapy dog named Annie Rose. She's an adorable English doodle from Ohio that received thousands of votes to win the 2022 Cadbury Bunny tryouts. Annie is going to star in the new Cadbury Clucking Bunny commercial and received a $5,000 prize. She was among thousands of dogs and cats who competed for this coveted role, including some sugar gliders and hedgehogs. But my personal favorite is Cheetah Puff the Magic Dragon, who is a bearded dragon that was wearing pink bunny ears and sitting in a sea of pastel plastic Easter eggs. Congratulations to the thousands of people who voted, and the tryout contest also raised $20,000 for the ASPCA. You really have to do this. You really have to look at these adorable pictures of the Cadbury Bunny competition. So just Google Annie the Cadbury Bunny to see wonderful stories and even a video clip. And I have to say that this story makes me want to go out and get myself some of those Cadbury mini eggs. I'm obsessed with that crispy shell on the outside of those little hard chocolate eggs on the inside. Ugh, they're like my favorite Easter candy. Our third news story today features an old friend of the Animal Medical Center. Canine Hurricane was honored at the second annual Animals in War and Peace Medal of Bravery Ceremony, which was held on Capitol Hill several weeks ago. Canine Hurricane is a retired U.S. Secret Service dog, and he received the Distinguished Service Medal for his exceptional meritorious service. 
He's the dog who neutralized an individual who had jumped the White House fence in 2014, protecting the president and important government officials. The AMC first met Canine Hurricane in 2016 when he was awarded the Top Dog Award at our annual Top Dog Gala here in New York City. So you can see that Officer Canine Hurricane is a special member of the AMC family. For information about this special event with photos of all the medalists, including Canine Hurricane, just Google the 2022 Animals in War and Peace Ceremony. Now, don't forget, if you have a pet health question, just pick up the phone and leave me a message. It's that simple. I'll answer your questions on next month's Ask the Vet show. The number to call, 866-993-8267. And now we'll go to questions from our listeners. Our first question today comes from Debbie. Hi, this is Debbie, and I just need to ask the vet if she believes ice, giving my dog ice, could be causing that their back teeth are cracked on both my dogs. Thank you. So Debbie, this is a really important and also a fairly common question is why is my dog's tooth cracked in the back? So I checked with AMC's board certified dentists and they said, Anything that you're worried about cracking your teeth can also crack your dog's teeth. Although ice is probably not the worst thing that they could be chewing on. Um, our dentists hate uh, bones made of nylon. They hate hooves, antlers, uh, and other bony structures that dogs like to chew on because those are the kinds of things that cause what our dentists call a slab fracture of those big teeth in the back. That means a slab fracture is when a, you know, like a third of the tooth breaks off in a big slab and those can expose the pulp of the tooth. And then that can become a painful problem for the dog. So, um, if your dog, if, if your dog is not eating hooves, bones, uh, nylon bones, um, or, um, antlers and all it's eating is ice, then the answer is yes, that ice has probably cracked their back teeth and you need to find something better for them to chew on. What's better would be hard rubber toys, not nylon, but rubber. Um, and there are all kinds of different things. The most well-known are the Kong toys, which are made of hard rubber. And you should be able to, to, to test whether or not something is too hard. If you could push on it and your finger makes a little dent in it, then that's good for your dog's teeth. Uh, so everybody out there, avoid having to see the veterinary dentist for a cracked tooth by giving your dog tooth safe toys. Our next question comes from Omar in Virginia. Hi, this is Omar from uh, Virginia. I had a question regarding my 10-year-old Frenchie. Uh, he's scheduled to uh, get um, to get neutered, and I am uh, wanted to know, uh, will it affect his personality afterwards, uh, or will he be the same dog as well? Thank you. So, 
Omar, your 10-year-old Frenchie will, yes and no, be the same dog. I expect that his personality at 10 years of age is very well developed. And I think that his personality is going to likely stay the same. What will be to his advantage is um, neutering a male dog um, keeps them from getting testicular cancer. So that's a por- an important plus. And as dogs age, they tend to get enlarged prostates, prostatic abscesses, prostatic cysts, prostatic infections. And so neutering a 10-year-old dog helps to avoid all those uh, health concerns that you really don't want your 10-year-old Frenchie or any dog to have. The other thing that happens when a dog gets neutered is their metabolism slows. And so um, Frenchies who can pack on the pounds in a minute um, need to have their diet cut back maybe by as much as 25% after neutering, or you're going to have more Frenchie than you used to have um, because he's going to pack on the pounds. And, And given Frenchie's respiratory issues and back issues and orthopedic issues, you don't want overweight Frenchies. You don't want any dog to be overweight, but Frenchies definitely no. So you need to, one of the changes will be his metabolism. And so you need to cut back the food. But I think that your Frenchies personality is well-developed and not likely to change just because of a neuter. And our final question today comes from Susan. Hi, I have a question about my mini Australian shepherd for the vet. She's a super dog, she's super smart, and we've trained her to ring the bells on the front door when she needs to go out during the day. But she started doing it at night. Two, three, four o'clock in the morning, we're hearing the bells. Nightmare. Any suggestions? I don't want to remove them because I'm feeling that will confuse her. Thinking about just ignoring it, I don't know what to do. Telling her not to ring the bells in the middle of the night is it working? Suggestions? Thanks. Her name is Savannah. My name is Susan. Thank you. Well, Susan, this does sound like a nightmare if your dog is waking you up in the middle of the night. And I don't know how in the world you could ignore a ringing bell in the middle of the night. So my thought is that that Savannah is looking for some attention in the middle of the night. Maybe she's bored or something. So I would distract her from the bell um, by being sure that she has enough things to play with overnight uh, if she decides to get up and move around. Another thought I had was, does she have a urinary tract infection? And so she's asking to go out in the middle of the night because she feels some sense of urgency because she's got a urinary tract infection. And another possibility from the medical standpoint would be that she's drinking more water. Pay attention to that because if dogs drink more, then they need to go out more. And maybe she's waking you up in the middle of the night telling you, I need to go out uh, either because they've got too much water drinking going on or an infection. If neither of those are the problem, then I, what I would do is I put a towel over the bell on the front door so that it muffles the ringing and that she can't wake you up. And then I think 
I think what might be happening is she rings the bell, you get up and she says, great, my person is here and we can play and have a good time. And you getting up is reinforcing the ringing of the bell is gets her what she wants, which is you. So I think that if you cover the bell up, ignore the bell and make sure she has enough stuff to play with or crate her overnight, I think that you can retrain her to um, not ring the bell in the middle of the night. Because, as you said, she's an Australian Shepherd and they are whip smart dogs. Uh, so she's going to catch on really quickly. I'm absolutely sure. Uh, that's it for our listener calls. And when I come back from the break, we'll have the news from the Animal Medical Center. We want to remind our listeners that this program is for informational and educational purposes only and not intended to substitute for professional veterinary medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The Animal Medical Center does not recommend or endorse any products or services advertised by SiriusXM. Now, more of your pet questions answered on Ask the Vet with Dr. Ann Hohenhaus. Call now with your pet questions on SiriusXM Stars. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Ask the Vet on Sirius XM Stars Channel 109. We're going to get to our uh, Animal Medical Center news in a minute. But first, want to remind you that if you have a pet health question, pick up the phone and leave me a message. We have a toll-free number that you can call and leave your message on, and I'll answer your question on next month's Ask the Vet. That number, one more time, is 866 993 8267. Now I'd like to take a moment to tell you about the Schwarzman Animal Medical Center's 2021 Year of Comprehensive Care report, which was released earlier this week. And I'm going to give you a preview of some of the information that will be in that report. The Animal Medical Center's more than 300 medical staff members managed Five fifty nine thousand five hundred and sixty five patient visits in 2021. So said another way, if we had seen just 435 more patient visits, we would have crossed the 60,000 patient mark for 2021. That that number equals 168 pets visiting the hospital every day. And it translates to 22,000 patients' visits that are seen through AMC's emergency service, one of the busiest emergency services in the United States. AMC is, is a dog-centric hospital, not because we want it that way, we see anyone that comes in. But the dogs we see comprise 71% of the patients compared to the fact that we only see about 23 percent of cats in our hospital. And then I know if you're sitting there adding the numbers up, you're, you're saying, oh, Dr. Hohenhaus didn't add correctly because that doesn't equal 100%. But remember, we see other animals like birds and ferrets and reptiles and snakes and rabbits and turtles. The biggest dog we saw last year was a dog named Elwood, who was a 194-pound mixed-breed dog. And the smallest patients, there was a tie, Dolly, a parakeet tied with Lewis the mouse for the smallest animal weighing in both at 1.4 ounces. There were over 1,800 pandemic babies or animals that came to AMC who were under one year of age last year. And AMC 
gave away $4.5 million of charitable care over the course of those 12 very busy months. To learn more about the Schwarzman Animal Medical Center or to take a look at our year of comprehensive care report, just go to AMC's website, which is amcny.org, and put into the search bar YOCC2021, Year of Comparative Comprehensive Care 2021. The Schwarzman Animal Medical Center believes pet parents everywhere should be able to access free accurate and trustworthy pet health information. And that's why AMC's Institute, USDAN Institute for Animal Health Education created an online user-friendly pet health library. It's the leading online platform to search the most trusted pet health information from the veterinary experts at the Animal Medical Center. In addition to the online pet health library, the USDAN Institute also presents a free monthly virtual pet health event and a free weekly newsletter containing useful pet health information and tips. You can stream all past USDAN pet health events from AMC's website, as well as previous Animal Lovers book club events. Our most recent book club was a conversation with Susan Olin, author of On Animals, which is a collection of her essays about domestic and wild animals. And coming up soon, watch for a new recording that will post shortly titled First Aid in Pets, Preparing for the Unexpected. This video is going to feature Dr. Anne-Marie Zolo from AMC's emergency and critical care team, helping you to manage your pet's emergencies uh, in the, the minutes before you get them to our ER. The next USDAN Pet Health event is titled Liver Shunts in Pets and will be held on May 8th at 6 p.m., and it will feature Dr. Chick Weiss, service head of the Interventional Radiology and Endoscopy Group at AMC. Dr. Weiss is going to discuss the diagnosis and treatment of liver shunts in both dogs and cats, including cutting-edge technology that allows liver shunts to be corrected by minimally invasive procedures. Like all the USDAN Institute events, registration is free but required. You need to register so we know you want to attend so we can send you the Zoom link. If you want to register for one of our USDAN events, then you just need to go to amcny.org and put events in the search bar. And then that will take you to the place where you can find out about all our upcoming events. I want to thank my guest, Dr. Jose Arce from the American Veterinary Medical Association, along with all my listeners and callers. And I want to make a special shout out to everyone who's downloaded the Ask the Vet podcast. We so appreciate your support. Got a question about your pet's health? Don't forget to call 866-993-8267, and I'll answer your questions on next month's show. Don't forget to check us out on social media. At Facebook, it's The Animal Medical Center. Twitter and Instagram, it's AMCNY. Be sure to like and subscribe where you get your podcasts so you can get our episodes as soon as they drop. And I'll be back next month for the next Ask the Vet show on Sirius, Stars, Sirius XM Stars Channel 109. Thank you and have a great month, everybody. You ain't nothing but a hound dogger. You cry all the time.